From Eyewitness News, this is Newsmakers. Welcome to Newsmakers, I'm Tim White. Ted Nisi is on assignment. We are in a time of uncertainty, fears over getting sick and fears of financial turmoil as more and more people are out of work. Thousands of Rhode Islanders have already applied for unemployment insurance, but for those of you who are independent contractors, that's not gonna do you any good. Plus, test kits. The U.S. has been embarrassingly behind on screening citizens, putting more people at risk, when now, more than ever, knowledge is power. We are practicing social distancing here at WPRI 12, and that is why our guest, Congressman David Cicilline, is joining me on the telephone. Congressman, it's good to talk to you. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you're doing well. Thanks. It's good to be with you on the phone. Uh, Congressman, we should mention to our viewers that we are taping this on a Friday, so a, a lot could change between now and many people watch this program on a, on a Sunday morning. But I want to start with this. Uh, on Thursday evening, Senate Republicans unveiled a package that would provide hundreds of billions of dollars in loans to companies, big and small, corporate tax cuts, and checks of up to $1,200, depending on uh, what somebody makes, to taxpayers. Will you sign off on this relief package if it gets to the House? Well, the House is actually developing its own package. Um, I think what the Senate did is uh, insufficient for the urgency and the magnitude of the problem. Uh, and so we're putting together a package that will, first of all, deal with working people, make certain that unemployment is extended to people who are uh, in the gig economy, who are contract workers, make sure states are fully reimbursed for that unemployment. Rhode Island, as an example, went from having you know 10 people file for unemployment on one day to 9,500 on the, after the virus outbreak. So we need to be sure that states have the unemployment they need so folks can have the income that's necessary. We need to expand that coverage for, for all workers. Uh, we need to support small businesses, not just with loan programs, which we've already done, but with a grant program program because we have many small businesses that have done the right thing they've laid people off sent them home but they need money to keep the you know the place open to pay their rent pay their utilities uh, keep the operation open and so we, we need to have a grant program to do that and I expect that will be in our package we need to have a uh, protections for mortgages and for uh, folks so they don't lose their homes. We need to have a deferment on student loans. Uh, I'm advocating for a big investment in after-school funding and summer learning because we're going to have to make up for some of the educational losses uh, for kids who have been sent home. We have to really importantly protect our health care workers. Um, that was uh, in the first proposal. It was taken out uh, in the Senate by the Republicans, but we need to make sure we're protecting those that are on the front line of this pandemic. So um, we're going to have a very robust package that really deals with the economic implications of this for families and for working people. The focus of the Senate bill is on the big corporations, and while that's important to have airlines and other industries, what, what the impact on local tourism, on restaurants, on small businesses is, is significant. So we're going to have a very strong package. We, we have been working on it over the last week, um, and I think it will respond both in scope and magnitude to the actual uh, challenge that we face as a state and as a country. Is there a risk, though, Congressman, of drawing a line in the sand. Uh, the Republicans control the Senate, and the Republicans have the White House, and uh, you, you rolled out a lot of different ideas that the House uh, Democrats want to put forward. Is there um, a reason why you shouldn't come a little bit more towards what the Senate is looking for, just so you can pass something? 
And, oh, no, then, look, and, we, then, we, and then, look, Congressman, and then, you know, roll out a different stimulus oh, package after No, no, that. no, there's no question. Look, we're going to keep, you know, we did the, remember this, the president's first response was $2.5 billion, uh, $1.5 billion of that he was taking from another account, the Ebola account. We moved forward with an $8.3 billion package. So we did that in a bipartisan way. We did it quickly. Um, we're, we did a second package that expanded paid family leave and medical leave and sick days and testing. Again, bipartisan, very, very strong package. I hope this third package will be bipartisan. Uh, we have to move quickly, but it has to really focus on workers, healthcare workers, you know, people who are not receiving unemployment. Um, and I have every confidence we're going to get this done in a bipartisan way. You sort of touched on this, but one of the most read stories on our website this week and, and most watched on, on Channel 12 is a, a report that I did along with Ted Nisi, and that was, you know, na helping people navigate their way through the unemployment insurance system here in the state. But as I touched on at the top of the show, that doesn't help out uh, the independent contractors, those who are self-employed. And when you ask the governor about it, she points to to you, to, she points to Congress and says they have to do something about it. You rolled out a long list of things that uh, you want to see House, uh, the House and Senate and, uh, uh, pass. What specifically would help out those who are self-employed that cannot tap into the state unemployment insurance? Well, it would provide additional resources to states so that they have the funds to provide unemployment, and it will give states additional flexibility so that they can cover workers who are self-employed, part of the gig economy, or contract workers. So, you know, states will still have the responsibility to administer the program, but it will give them the flexibility, uh, which we did in the bill we already have done, but it will give them additional flexibility, and most importantly, it will give them the resources because state unemployment funds will run out uh, quickly if uh, these unemployment numbers continue to, to escalate um, with the current funding level. So the federal government has to be the backstop uh, to provide that unemployment funding. And that's a big priority for the governor. We've, I've been in touch with her uh, every day, uh, and those, uh, those priorities were communicated to the speaker by me and by the rest of the delegation. What about this plan to, for people at home to possibly get a paycheck you've heard, or excuse me, an extra check? Uh, you've heard anything from the Senate proposal for those who make under, I don't know what it's, it is right now, $70,000 to get $1,200. You've heard proposals up to $4,000 per adult. Where do you think it should fall, if at all? I think for sure part of the package must include direct financial assistance uh, to uh, working people. I think there has to be a cap. I don't think they need to send money to, you know, people who are wealthy or are, are making lots What's of money. What's that cap, Congressman? I mean, I think there's a range of ideas. I think some of them say up to, you know, someone earning $70,000, a family of 140 and below. I mean, I think, you know, there, we're in discussions now what that cap should be, but I think there's no question that making sure there's an infusion of money in the hands of folks who need it to pay bills is critical. Um, but the most important part of that, of course, is fully funding unemployment and making it broad so that it applies to everyone who's out of work as well. Testing. Uh, the governor has said yesterday on Thursday, I should say, the federal government was totally unprepared uh, for testing and it's been forcing the state and local leaders to resort to their own devices. We are woefully behind. Is she wrong? 
No, she's not wrong. She's absolutely right. We have been pressing the administration from the very first day of the outbreak about the availability of testing. This is where uh, our country is far behind, and this is frankly where the administration failed to make use of the weeks in which they had notice of the first outbreak of this to really begin to prepare for widespread testing. Worse than that, the president uh, continues to say, oh, anyone who wants a test can have one. That is not the case. We are fighting hard to get tests into our state, and my colleagues are having the same experience all across the country. In addition to the test, we also need swabs and reagents so you can actually do the test. That's a continuing challenge. I spoke to the governor about it again this morning. Um, I, we're all in touch with people at HHS um, trying to get, you know, kind of our share or get them. But this is where, you know, leadership from the president matters. And uh, the notion that he, he said yesterday at the press conference, you know, that governors should just figure out ways to get their own ventilators. You know, I called on him to invoke the Defense Production Act. This is a wartime situation. Use the power of his office to require manufacturers to develop ventilators and respirators and swabs and the things we need. This is We're in a war against this virus, and it requires the president to use the authority he has to prepare not only for the current epidemic, but even more consequentially, the surge that is certain to happen. Even if we flatten that curve, we're going to need an additional hospital capacity, ICU beds, uh, additional respirators. And I you know, am pressing hard for the administration to use the resources and the power of this office to actually do planning for the epidemic as it grows. And um, the president yesterday said, oh, the federal government isn't a shipping clerk, which is really insulting when you think about the work that governors and mayors are doing in their own communities. They expect the federal government to provide leadership, and he is uniquely empowered uh, to require the manufacturing of the things that we need to keep Rhode Islanders and this country safe, and uh, thus far has not done it. That's a real problem. You talk about this pandemic as almost a wartime situation, and, and when people hear that, they also um, are hearing about states activating the National Guard, and a lot of people want to know, okay, are we, is the federal government on the verge of doing even a temporary, absolute, across-the-board shutdown? Are you hearing that from, where, uh, from Washington, D.C.? And either way, do you think the federal government should shut the country down? Well, there's no question that, that this is happening uh, already. It has happened in a number of states, obviously California being the largest. That's one in eight Americans live in the state of California. That has happened there. Uh, the governor, our governor, has basically recommended that people, you know, uh, socially distance and not do any uh, travel outside of their homes that's not essential. So I think it's happening already in states around the country. It's clearly one of the most important things we can do to to prevent the spread of the virus is to keep away from people who may in fact have the virus. But are we at that moment now, Congressman, where it should be coming from the federal government, from I mean, the president? I think it, it would be very helpful uh, if the president of the United States set forth a set of policies that were followed nationally. I think this has been very problematic because every state is doing different things. But that's as a result of a necessity because there's been an absence of leadership from the president on this issue. I think he ought to listen to the public health officials, Dr. Fauci and Ambassador Burke, let them make judgments based on the science and the evidence. Uh, but I think uh, the kind of general idea of staying in your homes and not going out unless it's absolutely necessary um, is wise counsel, whether it's required or not at this point. 
The dunk is closed. The convention center is closed. The Omni announced this week that they are shutting down to June 1st. I don't need to tell you, you were mayor of Providence, just how devastating that can be, not only to the city, but the state. I believe travel and tourism is, is what, the fifth largest industry in the state? What can be done for tourism as we head into the spring? Well, we have to be prepared to provide direct financial assistance to the tourism sector. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about airlines and, you know, cruise ships. The reality is local restaurants, local arts and cultural organizations that are the lifeblood of the tourist economy in Rhode Island and in places all across the country need to be supported. These, are, these folks are going to have to essentially rebuild uh, that part of our economy, and they're really important in terms of jobs. They're important in terms of the quality of life of our state. And uh, what I'm learning is for sure, and I've talking to, talking, spoken to the SBA administrator, it's not enough to provide just loans. For a lot of these small businesses, uh, they need a direct grant. Sometimes it's, you know, ten dollars or $20,000 just to stay open for the next two or three months to get through this difficult period. Uh, and I think we have to be prepared, and I think you will see in the House bill uh, a direct grant program for small businesses for business continuity to keep them open to keep their operations open um, and it's critical to Rhode Island's economy and it's obviously critical to the nation's economy. Let's just take a minute to talk about politics while I have you on the line. Congressman, it's down to Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders in the presidential race for, for Democrats. Some are calling for Sanders to um, pull out of the, uh, of the campaign uh, as he falls behind in the delegate count. Should he? Look, I think that's a really important decision for Senator Sanders to make. Um, you know, being in a campaign, running for any office, it's hard for anyone to tell you what you should do. I think you're right, though. It looks like the numbers are not there for sort of creating a path for him. Um, I think the party is really beginning to coalesce around former Vice President Biden. But obviously, Bernie Sanders has brought a lot of energy and some really important issues to the debate. And I respect that tremendously. And I think he'll make a judgment about what is kind of the right course of action for him and his supporters in due time. Please forgive me for this next question. I've been covering the coronavirus pretty much nonstop for the past week. So if you've already announced this, and I don't know, I apologize. But have you endorsed yet in this race? I haven't. Um, What's holding you back? Well, look, I mean, that, the, you know, to be honest, we, this is not an issue I've paid a lot of attention to in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we have been very focused, my staff, both here in, in D.C., on responding to constituents' uh, concerns about the coronavirus and um, was intending to await the results of the Rhode Island primary so we could see kind of what my constituents' views are. But, I mean, I have a longstanding personal friendship with the Bidens, so... I'm a huge fan of, of the vice president. I obviously have a lot of respect for Senator um, Sanders, um, but again, I think it's not been the focus of what I've sort of been paying attention to for the last few weeks. Congressman David Cicilline, I really appreciate your time, and please stay safe as you travel back and forth between Rhode Island and Washington, Thanks, D.C. you too. Stay safe, and stay safe to all your viewers. All right, when Take we care. come back, stories you may have missed throughout the week, including a Cranston couple who was trapped overseas. Stay with us. You're watching Newsmakers. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White. The news this week has been coming fast and furious, so we wanted to take a minute and bring you some reports that you may have missed. Earlier this week, I spoke with a Cranston couple who was among hundreds stranded in the North African country of Morocco. Kelsey Broadmeadow and her husband Chuck Walkup arrived in Morocco on March 8th. Days later, they were told they couldn't leave.
A vacation in Morocco for Kelsey Broadmeadow and Chuck Walcup of Cranston has left them trapped in a hotel after the Moroccan government shut down travel on March 15th. Spent about 12 hours at the airport yesterday. Wow. Um, just waiting in line. Um, it, we weren't moving or anything. They had it barricaded so you actually couldn't approach the desk. On Tuesday, a glimmer of hope. They were told if they could find a connecting flight through Paris, they could go home, so they booked it, only to be told later they couldn't board their flight. And it kind of crushes you, so it's kind of like a roller coaster ride of emotions. Broadmeadow says there are roughly 200 Americans in their hotel alone that are stranded, and answers have been hard to come by. We've contacted the embassy, and they took our uh, passport numbers and our, our names and contact information. Um, that was probably four or five days ago. A spokesperson for Senator Jack Reed says their office is working around the clock to get the couple home, adding he is urging the State Department to do everything possible to ensure that flights are available, including the possibility of rescue repatriation flights. Broadmeadow says it's unnerving to be in a distant land during a pandemic. Especially at the airport, um, they didn't, there wasn't a lot of care about what happened to us and, you know, they're they had no problem crowding everyone together. When they do get home, they have to spend even more time together under a mandatory two-week quarantine. It, yeah. it is a little bit like marriage survivor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to tell you I heard from Kelsey's father, and he told me with the help of the delegation, his daughter and son-in-law were able to hop a flight to Paris, then connect to New York the next day, and are back on U.S. soil. Of course, under quarantine. Now, as we discussed with Congressman David Cicilline on the first half, lawmakers on Capitol Hill are racing to respond to not only this public health emergency, but also the growing economic crisis it's causing. Earlier this week, my colleague Ted Nisi spoke one-on-one -on -one with Massachusetts Congressman Joe Kennedy. Here's some of that interview. The U.S. House has passed two coronavirus bills in two weeks. The first gave immediate aid to states. The second, which passed overnight Friday into Saturday, included free testing, expanded food and jobless benefits, and paid sick leave for some. I think there's a sense of urgency, no doubt. Massachusetts Congressman Joe Kennedy says the coronavirus response legislation so far is just a first step. I was on the floor with Speaker Pelosi at 1230 in the morning. Friday night, Saturday morning, whatever it was. And she was already focused then on the next bill. The priority now, addressing the economic damage from the pandemic. Kennedy wants more money for community health centers, direct cash payments to help Americans pay their bills, and paid sick leave for franchise and gig economy workers. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but if you've got somebody that is an Uber driver and doesn't get access to it and they're sick, but they have to make ends meet, they're going to keep driving, which means more people are going to get sick. This is how you have to respond to a pandemic. All this comes as Kennedy is in a hotly contested U.S. Senate primary against incumbent Ed Markey, but even campaign strategy is changing due to the outbreak. We've been out and about across the state uh, an awful lot, running a very aggressive retail campaign. A lot of high fives, a lot of fist bumps, a lot of handshakes, a lot of hugs. You can't do any of that. Um, and rightfully so. His main message to the public? As much as this feels like it's something way out beyond your control, that each of us actually can do something to impact the severity and duration of it. And some of what Kennedy wants in the stimulus bill already has bipartisan support. Republican Senator Mitt Romney said today he thinks the federal government should send a $1,000 check to every American adult in order to boost economic activity and help households make ends meet. Ted Nisi, Eyewitness News.
Now let's take you behind the scenes at WPRI 12 to show you what we've been doing in response to the coronavirus from keeping our distance, which is why we interviewed Congressman Cicilline over the phone, to working from home and cleaning a lot. We're doing what we can to keep everyone healthy. Before coming into Channel 12, whether you're a visitor or an employee, we want to make sure everyone is safe. That's why we're asking people to wash their hands upon entering the building. And once inside, we have hand sanitizers in every room. Usually at this time, the newsroom is bustling with reporters coming in to get their assignments. Producers and digital producers putting content together for all the shows that we do. And as you can see, the rooms right here are empty. Our editors are usually putting video together for all of our newscasts. Some of our workers are in the field, others working from home. This part of the building is where the advertising and sales department work. About 30 of the employees are working from home, talking to clients and writing commercials. FaceTime interview setup. Many of our reporters are working from home, like Eyewitness News reporter Alexandra Leslie. I'm in what's considered the vulnerable population. I have an underlying health condition called cystic fibrosis. The road shows Will Gilbert broadcasting from his kitchen. I've set up my iPhone here on a tripod and we're using Skype. That way they can see me, I can see them. Following all the Patriots news is Eyewitness Sports reporter Maury Hirschgordon from his living room. A lot of buzz around the NFL, obviously, with Tom Brady choosing to leave. And Sheena Lasciuto is self-quarantined for two weeks, not because she's sick, but she traveled overseas. And we dropped off all the equipment she needed to report from home. While we're committed to bring you the very latest, we also want to stay healthy. That's why you'll see us at all times six feet apart here in the studio in order to practice social distancing. Despite the coronavirus concerns, we are out there getting the latest information for you. Some in makeshift studios in their homes, others outside. It's our commitment to make sure your family's safe. That was Mike Montecalvo reporting. Now, a sudden change of plans for a couple of retired journalists with family ties close to home here at Eyewitness News. COVID-19 got in the way of an annual vacation, forcing a difficult decision. My colleague, Walt Buteau, with this street story on the road across America. This starts as a trip from New England to Southern California to watch some tennis, but the tournament was canceled and the real journey home began. How do you like Alabama? I like it quite a bit. Rhode Island native Bob Sherman and his wife Kate never expected to drive across the country in retirement. But when the Indian Wells tennis tournament was canceled due to the coronavirus, the CDC said seniors should not fly due to the pandemic. So we looked for a way to get home after that. We rented a car and decided to make it an adventure. They've recorded that adventure with pictures. Our greatest fear is that we will not get home because domestic travel will be curtailed. And on a blog, too old to fly. We fear being forced to shelter in place far from home and family. Target 12 investigative reporter Eli Sherman is the youngest of their four sons. 
I suppose a bit of a mixed emotion. On the one hand, he's trying to keep it light. It's very easy to quarantine in place in the in the front seat of a of a Nissan Rental. So that's what we did. There's concern because I'm watching him come across the country at a time when each day there's new news coming out that makes it a little scarier each time. By the time we got to Texas, there were signs all over the highway about washing your hands and social distancing. This is a sharp contrast. As they continued through the South, they feared their decision to drive could stall far from their Vermont home. We're worried about the roads being blocked because there's a nationwide lockdown like there is in Northern California. Their family worried too. Oh, each day, sort of the news on this and the orders from government bodies becomes a little bit more strict every day. By Thursday, the concerns were gone as they made it home. A six-day journey across a country in crisis through the eyes of a pair of journalists who thought they'd seen everything. Oh, I was thinking about this earlier today. I, I've lived through the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Gulf War, all kinds of different crises, the civil rights movement. This is not like anything I've ever seen. Nobody has quite seen something like this before in their lives today. The Shermans will welcome the cooler weather of New England and life on their farm, and you can read all about it. We have a link to their blog on WPRI.com. Wolf Buteau, Eyewitness News. I have to tell you, I haven't seen Eli Sherman in more than a week because of what's been going on. It's been, it was good to see him and best of luck to his parents. Now, state officials are looking for large facilities to set up emergency medical centers if there is a sudden influx of COVID-19 patients. Officials from the National Guard and the EMA toured the Dunkin' Donuts Center and the Rhode Island Convention Center to scope out the buildings as a way to deal with a surge of coronavirus patients if area hospitals become overwhelmed. Officials are looking to see how many beds the facilities could hold and how many meals the kitchens could produce. In the southern part of the state, they are also looking at the possibility of using the Ryan Center at URI. The university has canceled all on-campus learning for the rest of the semester. As we've reported, the coronavirus pandemic is uh, uh, having a dramatic impact on the blood supply across the U.S. The American Red Cross says it is facing a severe blood shortage due to an unprecedented number of drive cancellations. The U.S. Surgeon General is calling on healthy Americans to donate blood. Doctors say if you're healthy, it's safe to give blood. Here's a list of numbers you can call if you have questions or concerns about the coronavirus. Rhode Island's coronavirus hotline is 401-222-8022. If you need someone to talk to about mental health concerns, it's 414-5465. And if you live in Massachusetts, call 211 for assistance. It was good having you with us. I hope Ted Nisi will be here next week. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week on Newsmakers.